So uh, we're going to get started. Oh, I ended up with two. Anybody need one? Yes. All right. Here we go. All right. You might have to share. I printed 15, but there's... Not 15 of us? There's not... I don't know. Whatever. We've been working through... Oh, uh, before we get too far along, uh, Gabe, since you're standing up, can you go grab a stack of hymnals? You know, I don't know, eight or nine of them, something like that. Uh, we've been working through the liturgy, but we've been doing it the way that really you ought to do such a thing, which is start with God's word, right? And then see, do we actually confess in, our, in what we do, what we hear from Jesus, right? Uh, sometimes people work it the other way around. Uh, I talked about this yesterday on the congregation at prayer online, if you listen or watch that, uh, and that there, we, we, we're doing something, whatever it might be, and then we, we look in God's word to find a reason for doing it. But that we start with, we want to do this thing, and then we go find a justification for it from what God's word says. Well, what do you end up doing with God's word then? Change it. Yeah, you end up having to either change it or mangle it or misuse it, right? Yeah. So you, like, for example... Um, I'll give you one that's probably super popular amongst you. Uh, there are those who say that the United States of America, well, I mentioned this yesterday, is God's chosen nation, right? God has chosen us as a nation. So then they'll go and they'll search the scriptures and find something that says, you are God's chosen nation, which, of course, there are plenty of things that say that. Of course, if you read those things, they're actually talking about the people of God, the Holy Christian Church. They're not talking about the United States of America. But... If you want to go about such a thing, you can go and you can mangle, misuse, or mishandle God's word. Yeah, just distribute them. We might have to share a little bit. Um, misuse God's word. That's what's called, uh, in theological studies, it's called proof texting. You ever heard of that? Proof texting. So um, that, can, that isn't necessarily a discipline that's wrong. I have one. Uh, or faulty. But you have to operate with the first presumption that... God's word is the sole authority for what we believe and what we do. Okay? Following so far? God's word is the sole authority for what we believe and what we do. Everything else must be in service to that. Which necessarily then means that when we evaluate something, we want to evaluate it according to God's word, but we have to not go find scriptures that prove what we want to do, but rather go find more maybe in a more broad sense, what are the scriptures that pertain to what we're doing and is what we're doing in accordance with what God's word says? Ah, that's what the Reformation did, by the way. That's what the Reformation did. Luther looked at what the church was doing and said, where is this written? <laughs> right? And, and Rome had plenty of, it, had plenty of uh, excuses, if you like. They had plenty of proof texts. They could send you a scripture here and there. But as Luther rightly pointed out, uh, or Melanchthon, his friend, who wrote the Augsburg Confession. Um, if you look at the apology to the Augsburg Confession, which is the defense of the Augsburg Confession, you see Melanchthon saying, uh, that word you keep using, you do not know what, you know, you keep using it, but how's it go? Do you, I don't think you know what that is. I don't think it means what you think it I don't think it means what you think it means, right? Yeah, because they'll use grace in a particular word, way, for example. It isn't really the way that God uses it. All right? So, uh, that's the way that we go about what we do. So, um, we've been working through the use of the name of the Lord. Right? I hear this all the time. Um, I will call upon the name of the Lord. Or, um, 
We used God's name a few times today in church, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, quite a few times, right? We began in the name, we concluded in a benediction that was the grace of our, how did it go? Which one? That's a different one. Um, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Ah, who has, a, who has the face of God? <laughs> Jesus, right? The Lord lift up his countenance or be favorable toward you and give you peace. Who's the, who's the one who brings peace? Jesus. Jesus by way of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, right. So even there, it's a little bit of the name, although it's taking, it's taking a scripture that Aaron blessed the people with and, and showing how that's fulfilled in, in the revelation of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, so we do that every week. All right, so you've got a sheet. Got your sheets? Good. All right, so this is the last lesson on the name, and then we're going to move on to confession absolution, which, of course, comes after the invocation, right? So we learned that Seth was to call upon, he was the first to call on the name of the Lord. That's the son of Adam and Eve. So that was now, what, three, four weeks ago? I don't know if I still have any of those lessons, if you need it. I don't have any more. You're welcome, David. Pastor Bloss. Blessing on your ministry. See you around. Yeah, hopefully. Hasta la vista. Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Arnold. Uh, and then we also learned about how, well, this part we didn't do as much on. We learned how we've been born into a great family. That was the week that we had um, congregational assembly, right, our voters meeting. So uh, that's talking about that there. But I passed it out at the voters meeting. So you got that. Of course, that was Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20, which was the sermon text for today that Pastor Bloss spoke on, right? Go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, right? Which would have connected well with the gospel text for today. Uh, But you can hear more on that on Wednesday night when I'll preach on the gospel text for today. All right. Uh, And then last week, we talked about Acts chapter 2. Well, actually, we talked about... Where did my pens go? We talked about uh, Joel chapter 2 and then Acts chapter 2. All right, in Acts chapter 2, specifically in verse 46, 2 verse 46. Why are you destroying? Why are you destroying little baby? Because that's what I do. Acts 2 verse 46, if you've got your scripture, I can pull it up actually for you. What's the point in Hebrews chapter 1? There we go. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Oh, 2 verse 42. Sorry, I said 46. 42. There it is. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. All right? So that's, if you like, it's, it's a, a pattern or a type for everything that we do together, especially on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Right? So the apostles' doctrine or teaching... So that's preaching and teaching, right? The fellowship, we talked a little bit about that last week, right? What's the fellowship? The koinonia, where's Don? Don knew the Greek. I don't know what's wrong with him. The koinonia, the fellowship, that's the gathering together of the community of saints in Christ, right? And then the breaking of the bread, which of course is shorthand for? Lord's Supper, good. And then the prayers, and prayers could mean, very specifically, interceding and thanksgiving and prayers of praise, like we do with the prayer of the church. Um, or 
I would suggest it means something even more broad than that. Um, everything we do from beginning to end every week is praying. Even the hymns are prayers. Uh, and I think, was it last week maybe? Or no, it was Wednesday night that I ended the sermon with a stanza from a hymn as a, as a prayer. Right? Those are all prayers. Those are praying. It's not, I think it's one of the shortcomings maybe in the way that we think about hymns. We think of music maybe as what? Like traveling music? Like we have music when we need to do, one, do something to keep, or when we need to move from one place to the next. <laughs> uh, that's not how the way that hymns function in the church. It, that is the way that the offering functioned today. We need to collect an offering, and so Pastor Betcher played um, some music on, uh, in, on one of the tunes. I can't remember which hymn it was. All right, but usually the reason we have music is it's one of the ways we pray. It's one of the ways we confess what we believe. Uh, music has that special... Uh, what do you want to say? Effect, I guess. It's a gift from God that takes words and then they go in not only through your heart, but it deposits them in your, in your heart in a way that maybe words alone don't necessarily do. Ron, you had your hand up. I just want to add that Jesus and the disciples sang the song Yeah, that's right. After they had received the, well, they prayed psalms in the context of the Passover meal. Right, psalms, specific ones. And then it does say, uh, Luke in particular, I think, after they had received the supper and as they were traveling to the Mount of Olives, they sang a hymn. And it, it doesn't tell us what hymn it was, right? And maybe it's not extent. Maybe it was another psalm or maybe it was another sacred song, right? They had those too. All right, so, um, so we have repentance, baptism, apostles' teaching, prayers, and Holy Communion all kind of outlined there. The repentance part for the forgiveness of sins was in the sermon that came right before this. We read that last week. All right. So that, it's really the pattern or the picture of the church. And so today our exercise, turn the page, page two, our exercise is to see, um, do we follow the same pattern? Now, I've already told you that we do, but <laughs> we're going to go through the uh, exercise of actually finding out. All right. So again, this, uh, this study was written for like middle school, high school children, and, and not very well catechized ones. Sorry, Dan. All right? You know. So, so maybe it's a little basic, but it's worth doing that exercise, I think, work, walking through it. All right. So we don't have to look a lot up, maybe. Number one, invocation. Remember, invocation is to call upon a name, to invoke a name. Yes, Ron. Can you have a comment on your Bible Yeah, Acts 2. Sure. Somebody commented to me about the the line that says they sold all the things that they, uh -huh. yes. they had all things in common, they said they compared that to socialism. Yeah, right. <laughs> I've done that. Socialism is, is forced. Right. Yeah. This is voluntary. Correct. That's a good point. I, did we make that last week? I can't yes, remember. Yes, we did. Okay, thanks. Yeah, we talked about that last week. So, yeah, not, not by way of coercion, not state-run. Rather, it's through charity. Actually, the love of Christ manifested itself in love toward neighbor. And you can think about that today with missions, right? Um, you're, you're not obligated, <laughs> like through compulsion. I'm not going like, to lock the doors until you support the, the work of the Hispanic County Hispanic, or what do we say? Sheboygan County Hispanic Outreach. Right? That's coercion. Well, it's worse than that. I don't know what it is. Right? Um, some churches actually do that. They'll keep passing the plate until they raise enough money. 
Now, I've seen that in Baptist church and, and actually some Roman Catholic too. So like we, did, we, were, we need 1,500 and you only put in 1,000. So here's the plates again. And we're going to keep doing this until enough of you feel guilty enough to put more money in. I'll write the big check. Hey, it works, right? But it's not charity, right? It's not the charity, by the way, it comes from the Latin caritas, which means it's another word for love, right? It's love for neighbor. So it's not, it's not caritas. Um, so we do nothing actually out of compulsion or obligation. Now God gives us his law to show us where we have failed, right? But he does not by his law give us the power to do those things. This is, this is a lesson for parents. Most, I'm probably the youngest parent in the room, aren't I? <laughs> okay. Um, you know, you can say you have to, right? But ultimately, the only thing that's going to create a long-lasting obedience is if you do it for the love of, not for the obligation of it, for the fear of punishment, but rather for the, for the love of, in, in our case, I'm looking at my kids here, for the love of the, of the family, Right? Maybe a little bit of fear of mom's wrath, too. Just a little bit. Things are just better if you just do it. Exactly. That's right. Life is easier. Life is easier. It's more lovely, actually. That's right. Very good. All right. So invocation. When do, what name do we call upon in the very beginning? Okay. And like I said, every divine service starts this way. In the name of? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we start with the same name that we received in baptism. Oh, that's the next question. Where did we first receive this name? (laughs) In baptism. All right, let's look at Micah chapter four. So if you wanna follow along in your Bible, you can do that. Otherwise, I'll put it up on the screen for you. This is a, uh, we studied actually the book of Micah, probably like November of 2018. How many of you were there then? Some of you, (laughs) some of you. Few years ago, it's it's not too long. Micah is a lovely book to look at um, as we lead up to the season of of Advent, especially because there's the there's a promise of the birth of Jesus in there. All right, Micah chapter four. You know, in the English Bibles, that's the last book of the Old Testament, but in the Hebrew and Greek Bibles, it's not because <laughs> it's not the last book written. Sorry, books are in different orders. All right, so it shall come to pass in the latter days, that's today, by the way, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come, even those who speak Spanish, and say, it's supposed to be funny, all right, anyway, (laughs) come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Yeah, it says law, it's, it's Torah, so it could be teaching. You could translate that a number of ways. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between many peoples and he shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. Which is why you need pruning hooks, by the way. Right? For the vine? Okay, good. And no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So why is it so important that we uh, call upon his name? And properly, I should say, right? Think of the second commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Or how did, how did the old folks learn that? It wasn't misuse. What was it? Take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I learned it that way too. Oh, good for you. That's because I'm a grump about it. Because my silly pastors thought, oh, it'd be so great if we changed the translation on you. Right? I started learning the catechism when I was in first grade. Oh, it was sixth grade. Here, we're going to teach you a different way to say it. So five years, and then I've been confused ever since. Yeah, take the name of the Lord your God in vain, or misuse the name of the Lord your God, right? What are, that's one problem, is to not use God's name properly. What's the problem with all the peoples? They don't call on God's name at all. That's one way to misuse it. Whose name do they call on? Their gods, right? Yeah, they call on the name of of their God, of its God, all the people, right? And what God might that be? Money. Sure. Satan. Satan. <laughs> there are Satanists, yeah. Yeah, who, who are the ones who filed a lawsuit against the Texas anti-abortion law? <laughs> were the Satanists, good for them. You said there were people who had no God. Yeah, there's people who say they have no God, which is a God in itself. Just your God's name is no God, atheist, right? Yeah, so you worship the God that isn't which I know is kind of confusing, but there you go. Yeah. I'm glad I brought entertainment today. Old Dorothy. She's going to go check things out. Right? Uh, people have names for their gods. Sometimes the, their gods go unnamed, but uh, anyone that you fear, love, and trust, anything that you fear, love, and trust more than God is your God, right? So um, this is why I, I teach the children, and I would encourage you to do this, is when somebody says, who do you believe in? Use the proper name. Don't just say, I believe in God. All right? Because uppercase, lowercase g, whatever. What does that even mean? What God do you believe in? So if you want a shorthand, you could say God the Holy Trinity, which does mark you exclusively as a Christian. All right? Um, Or even longer, say, I believe in Jesus Christ. That's another shorthand. Or if you've got a little time, say, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, or Leah's, Leah's ready to go. She's going to say the whole creed. What God do you believe in? I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Father of the Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then next you just have to go on to the um, Athanasian. Yeah, you might as well just keep going. That's right, that's right. Right. This is why it's important. Um, names matter. And we've been talking about this the last couple of classes. But uh, what name you give to God does indicate which God you believe in. So you want to be much more specific. Um, even something like the Lord our God, uh, this, is not, this is not helpful in English. But actually the Hebrew is very specific. It's not translated very well in English. This is a problem. You notice again, we've talked about this before, but it's worth bearing. Oh, you can't quite see it. It's cut that's off the, there. That's the name, right? That is not just any name, but it is the name. Yeah, so it's... it's yeah, uh, yeah, there, there it is, in Hebrew. And this is the name, when, when, when a Hebrew person was reading this, they'd be like, they didn't even pronounce it. 
They say Adonai, which means Lord in Hebrew. So that's why it's a substitution, Lord, all, you know, that's called small caps in typeset, which is substituting for this name, which is the name that God gave to Moses. Who should I say sent me? This name, which, yes, some, Jesus translates it as I am, and it could be I was, or I am, and I, or I will be. I just prefer to put all three together. I was, I am, and I will be. Or, I am the Alpha and the Omega. You know? See? See how that works? All right, so that's why the Micah is very helpful if you know Hebrew. <laughs> but in English, you look at that, oh, the Lord. Well, lots of people call people lords, right? Uh, no, this is a very specific name. Right? So use the specific name. Who should you say sent me? I am sent me. Right? Or, oh, as far as in the beginning... That's a good question. I'm pretty confident, I know, but I'm just going to verify. Where's my cursor? There it is. Okay. She's going she's gonna to crawl around. It's fine. Yeah. Eh, it should be okay. Don't worry about it. All right. All right. So to Ron's question, in the beginning, it's not the divine name. That isn't given until Moses on Sinai. This is Elohim. Elohim. Elohim, which is another name for God. So he has a couple different. Those are just different words, but they do mean different things. All right, very good. So why is it important to call on the name? Because if, you don't, if you're not calling upon... Oh, we're back to... Where, where'd Micah go? Where'd Micah go? Oh, come on, Micah. There it is. All right. Um, what name we call on indicates what God we're talking to. Simple enough, right? It's just like saying, hey, you, is not quite as specific as, hey, Luke. <laughs> now it's very clear. Who am I talking to? Luke. All right. Good. So that's the invocation. You've got, uh, now let's do the Ezekiel first, and then you'll open your hymnal. So Ezekiel chapter 39. That's a book you've all read, right? It's part of your daily devotions. Huh? All right, some of Ezekiel gets pretty wonky. <laughs> you know, there's angels and there's burning wheels and things. It's, it's pretty crazy. But um, Ezekiel was a prophet during the time of Babylonian exile. So um, he often speaks really incredible words of comfort to the people who are in captivity and who will be restored, right? All right. The phrase that's used quite a bit in Ezekiel, I remember again, the section where it says, and they will go... They will know, right. Just like the first commandment, which says, you will, you shall, have no other gods. Right? Is it a command, like get rid of your false gods? Sure. What else is it? It's a promise. You know, as we sang uh, in the hymn, uh, praise, uh, how did it go? Tear, uh, tear every idol from its throne, for you are Lord and Lord alone. To God, the praise and glory. That was our hymn this week. All right. Sing praise to God, the highest good. That's it. That was our hymn. That's the fifth, end of the fifth stanza. All right. So, uh, oh, I didn't go far enough. Sorry about that. There it is. All right. So, well, let's get a little context. Verse 22, chapter 39 of Ezekiel. The house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. Shall know, right? Will know. 
And the nations will know or shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries. This is the God that we don't like to talk about, our God, that he actually gives us what we want to call us to repentance. You want to be a socialist? Here, try it out. See how it goes. And you'll repent. All right. Um, Thanks, Ron. Uh, And they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions and hid my face from them. All right, so they wanted to live in rebellion to God. They wanted to live in their sin. They wanted to make God their enemy. And he said, okay. All right. Just like the people in the wilderness, right? How many of them made it into the promised land? Zero. Yep, they rebelled against God repeatedly. And he said, okay, your kids can go into the promised land, but you'll never get to see it. That doesn't mean they they died and were condemned to hell, right? Hopefully they lived in repentance, but, um, but we don't know, actually. It doesn't say too much about that. All right, maybe Moses, for example. All right, so therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none, of, none to make them afraid. When I brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations. All right, so the question is, why does the Lord have mercy on his people? And why is he jealous? Because he's a loving God. Yeah. Notice, I think the expression there that you should pay attention to is the fortunes of Jacob. All right? That's another way of saying, for the sake of the promise made to Jacob. All right? So God promised to Jacob, so he's going to keep his promise. Right? Yeah? Even when we're unfaithful, is he faithful? Always. Always, that's right. Well, I mean... You, you have to say yes, because that's what the apostle says. Right? All right. And we're, of the, we're one holy Christian apostolic church. We teach what the apostle teaches. That's right. He's jealous. Now, jealous is kind of an interesting word, because we think of jealous as, like, as a synonym for greed, right? Like if you're jealous for something, you want what isn't yours. Or maybe for coveting, maybe. Yeah. Um, that's not what this means. This is more, what would be a good analogy for this? God is jealous for you. He doesn't want to give us up. Yeah, he doesn't want to give you up. So, like, what would be a, an analogy in, you know, en- here? Envy? It's not envy. Yeah, because that's still more negative. This is a positive sense of jealousy. This he is, desires a whole relationship with you. That's correct. Yeah, so it's like a husband for his wife or wife for his husband. Or, for or you for your parents for their children. Like, this is what, what our state doesn't seem to understand. Not necessarily Wisconsin, but the state in general doesn't seem to understand is like, oh, actually the, the, um, uh, the chairperson of, for the Department of Education even said this, is that parents are not the primary stakeholder in the education of their child. He said they're just one of stakeholders. So the state has an interest, the parents have an interest, right? But whose interest ultimately rules then? The state's, right? Whereas a parent is jealous for their child, meaning it's parents recognize, and they don't always do it perfectly or well. That's not the point. It's that it is the parent's authority to guide the, the teaching of the child. It's an authority given to them, we believe, by God. Whether the rest of the world believes that or not isn't the point. 
That's the reality, that's the truth. So it's not the state's job to teach the children any more than it's the church's job to teach the children. Oops. Yeah, you probably read the news, the article in the, in the uh, annual report. Yeah. Run. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that word. Yeah. Zealous rhymes with jealous, so it makes it easy to remember. Yeah, advocate. I think it's more than that. It's I. I do think it's that idea is like no, this is my. These people are my responsibility. They're they're people have my workmanship. They're they're my children. They're mine to protect. And it's I know when we when we talk that way, it does sound a little bit possessive. Possessive, right? But God can do this without sin, whereas we do it maybe in a little bit more greedy way. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Advocate, that's a, it's not probably strong enough, I think. But zealous, I like that. But we don't use that any other time, do we? Yeah, so it's beautiful. So he's jealous for us, um, and he is merciful for his people for the sake of the promise, the fortunes of Jacob, right? right? That's why he has mercy on us. So it's the same thing with us. The forgiveness of sins is the promise that Jesus made Right? Even from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Right? So he's always working everything towards repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Even when he allows you to become a socialist. Okay, or at least to live under a socialist regime, whether you ever become one or not, that's how it goes. Um, so what do you think? There's a question here, the second question on page 14.2. What does the passage, verse 25, mean for our prayers for mercy. <coughs> Going to connect this to the first and second commandment. And it's a little, maybe a little bit hard to imagine. If he's jealous for us, I mean, he wants us to be exclusively his, what does he want us to do? What is he working? To rely on him for all things? Yeah, that we, rely, that we call upon his name alone for help in every trouble, right? <laughs> prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. Think of the second commandment. All right. So he's jealous. He doesn't want us using anybody else's name because he's our God. Not, we don't have any other gods. He doesn't want us to have any other gods. We have other gods. He doesn't want us to. And he's working that. That's what that jealousy. Um, it's a little different than like God loves you, right? Which, which is also true, but it doesn't quite have that sense of like he's working everything for you. Right, and for um, that you would be united to him. So I, I like that word jealousy. We should probably, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, right? Yeah, which is in the conclusion of the commandments, which is your memory work for this week. How are you doing on that? <laughs> Lesson four, right? Okay. She rolls her eyes. <laughs> She's doing really well. She, she doesn't necessarily speak. Welcome, children. Um, so that's, that's supposed to be my bell, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? Jealous God, punishing... Oh, yeah. Leah, she writes out all the commandments and explanations by hand. She might not say them out loud. If you can write them down... They're there. All right, good. Uh, Psalm 109, verse 21. Let's do that. I guess we might not actually get to the hymnal. That's okay. I always take too long. I talk too much. <laughs> little context. Hopefully you don't mind a little noise. 
Oh, speaking of jealousy, look, if we go back a couple verses. Esther. All right. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him. Like, may what be like a garment? I guess I have to go a little bit back. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. That's a visual image. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. So we're talking. This is actually the psalmist praying that the Lord um, have vengeance on his enemies, but that even his the cursing that is the damning of the enemies like soak into his body like like water or oil. That don't make much sense. What do you mean? You don't want God to curse your enemies? It doesn't have to make sense. It's just an image. That is a good question. I'd probably have to do a little bit more research. I'm sure there's some background to it, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. Anyway, the point was, is verse 21. Thanks, Ed. But you, O God, my Lord. I love, the, you know, watch for this word here. But, this is a, this is a gospel, but. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember. It's probably just a single character in Hebrew. Yeah, it's just a vav. <laughs> and Hebrew, Hebrew is a lot simpler than English. But is just that. All right, anyway. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on behalf from your name's sake. Aha. Uh-huh. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. Right? So the Lord deals with us mercifully. Why? Verse 21. For your name's sake. All right. And here, what's really important, who bears the name of the Lord? Esther got it. She always knows the answer. Give me a hand. All right. Yeah, Jesus bears the name. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, pray, they sang that as he came in on the donkey on Palm Sunday, waving their palm branches. Yeah, riding a donkey. Yeah, riding a donkey. All right. All right, so let's look at, uh, we're not going to talk about the readings of the Sermon of the Creed. That's the teaching of the, this is the rest of Acts 2.42. Um, you can look at the on your stay in Sanctus on your own, but open your hymnal. Let's just do this quick. This will be our last thing. We can't do the whole lesson. It's okay. Um, service four, so page two hundred and four. That's the service we've been using. So let's use that. Two hundred and four. Go one more page. Two hundred and four. All right. This happens repeatedly through the service. All right. We, Esther. Right. Um, where we ask for one thing. And then the next part of the liturgy is the answer. So, for example, we ask in the Sanctus that the Lord be kept holy among us, right? And have mercy upon us in the Sanctus. But then in the Agnus Dei, so Sanctus is at the beginning of the sacrament. The Agnus Dei is at the end of the sacrament. And that's where we say, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. So at the beginning of the sacrament, we pray for mercy. At the end of the, sac- the service of the sacrament, before we receive the Lord's Supper, we say, Jesus is the source of mercy, the Lamb of God. Make sense? Same thing happens here with the Kyrie and the Gloria. So just look at this. We say, Lord, have mercy upon us. 
Christ, have mercy upon us, and Lord, have mercy upon us, right? But then, in the glory and excelsis, that's the answer from God. Here's how he has shown mercy, namely in the song from the angels, right? Uh, it's a little less obvious in service four, but I think you'll see it. Where has he had mercy on us? Just pick out some things. You only are the Lord. Yeah, you only are the Lord. How's that mercy? There you go. You take our sins away. What else? Look at the third line, second stanza. Have mercy on us, Jesus. Receive our heartfelt cry. So another way that we know he has mercy is he hears our prayers. Make sense? Okay. What else do you see here? Ron's right. Lamb of God, our Savior, take our sins away. Came right before that. What about God, uh, Christ sitting at God's right hand? We didn't sing the hymn. It was the, it was the fourth distribution hymn. We didn't get to sing it. But from the right hand of God, Jesus has all all authority and power, right, in heaven and on earth, right? So he has authority to show us mercy. Uh, what else do we have here? Peace on earth, right? Where is peace on earth? Not, not from, uh, what's his name? John Lennon. Yeah, just give peace a chance. Can, you could beat your plowshares into pruning hooks. Uh, but then one, I don't know how you're going to harvest. And <laughs> nobody has plowshares anymore, right? Or what was the one right before plowshares? What was the weapon? The sword into what? Was it sword into plowshare? Did I get it wrong? Oh, okay. And spears into pruning. Spears into pruning hooks, right? So taking your sword and your spear, right? When does that ultimately happen? When do you no longer need the spear and the sword? When the war is over. When is the war over? On the last day. That's right, Armageddon. That's right. right. The war is over in that Jesus has defeated sin and death and devil. Patrick. Jesus has defeated sin, death, and devil. But have you received, have you received that already? Yes, you have, of course, in the forgiveness of sins and divine service. But do you see it? Do you experience it? No, you receive it by faith, right? And finally, on the last day, there will be no need. All tears will be wiped away from the eyes. No need for battle, right? No need for swords and spears, right, Esther? Okay, she agrees. All right, so peace to all the earth comes from Jesus at his birth, right? That's what the angel's saying. All right, so you see how we pray for mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And then right away in the very next part of the liturgy, what do we pray? Here's all the ways that he's shown his mercy to us. Uh, and this is, I mentioned this yesterday in the congregational prayer, and we'll, we'll end there. Because obviously it's time to be done. Um, no, I mentioned this yesterday, that the, uh, the only way that you can pray confidently and that is with a hope that, that is confident, is if it is according to what God has promised or what God has done, right? So I was, I was making an argument yesterday for knowing the history of the Bible, because in the history of the Bible, you can see how God has, has preserved his people, even in exile, like Ezekiel points out, right? He will return his people. How could Ezekiel say that with confidence? He returned his people from exile in Egypt, Right, it took 400 years, but still, it happened, right? So we can be confident he'll return us. It was only 70 years in Babylon, so it wasn't that bad. 
right? I mean, that's like, that's like um, you know, the Christians um, in Soviet Russia from, when the, from the Bolshevik Re- Revolution until, um, until the fall of, of, of Soviet communism there, Soviet style communism, right? That was about 70, what, four years? No, it was more than that, wasn't it? No, that's right, 72? Math, was it like 19... 19... Maybe it was 80 years. Yes, yeah, no, so end of Soviet Russia, that was 96, right? I don't know, my math's no good. 79, something like that. Right, so Christians, in a sense, were exiled in that country for at least a couple generations. But the Lord delivered them out. And now, that, now the church is being restored there slowly, but surely by the Lord's word and by his spirit. All right. So uh, I, maybe this is a good argument for you as Christians is to remember if the Lord has promised mercy, he will have mercy. But you, you, sometimes you have to take a much longer view of things than saying, well, I want mercy now. Okay, I forgive you your sins, right? And you're like, no, 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 I, I want to be delivered from you know, tyranny and... and all the oppression, you know, of, of this world. And like, you're just going to have to trust me on that one. It might take a while, right? Yeah, Esther thinks it's funny. All right, so like I said, you can look at, do the same sort of thing with the readings, the sermon and the creed, all right? Or the Agnus Dei and the Sanctus. And then at the back, some of you make the sign of the cross. Some of you don't. Depends on your tradition. It's not commanded by God's word, so I'm not going to make you do it. <laughs> right? Um, it's not commanded or forbidden either, though. So you're free to make the sign of the cross. It talks a little bit about that. If you think it's some kind of like lucky rabbit's foot that's going to save you, no. Um, but if that's a helpful way for you to remember Christ's suffering and death for you for the forgiveness of sins, that's what it's good for. All right? Like any cross. So. right or wrong time? No, not necessarily. Um, in the hymnal, they're pointed out with little crosses. So as you're reading along, there'll be a cross to say that's a good time to do it. So like, for example, they even say here, the sign of the cross may be made by all in remembrance of the baptism. So it says, in the name of the Father and of the... And then there's a little cross. Son. That'd be the time. Yeah. Uh, same thing in the uh, apostle, in the creed, right? And the life everlasting, right? Because that's what we receive in the cross. And then there's, there's others. Take, eat, this is my body. Take, eat, this is, or take, drink, this is the New Testament in my blood, etc., etc. I don't know, do they put it in the Lord's Prayer? I do it in the Lord's Prayer. It's also here, as the pastor is making the sign of the cross, you can make the same sign of the cross on you. Um, the tradition is, it's tradition, do what you want, is that you do it the opposite direction, Right, so I, I'm facing you. I go like this, right, and then you're going the other. You're you're going the same direction, but since you're facing me, uh, the, and, and here's the other point. What's that? Yeah, they do. Right, and people think, oh, that's mystical mumbo jumbo. Maybe, or maybe they're like, I'm a Christian. I'm going to thank God for what He has given me. For example, I hit a home run. Thank God. Well, that's, that's actually a great testament of faith that, in, that God gives to us all things. Or maybe they're saying, I'm going to make the sign of the cross because that's my lucky thing to do after, you know, or before I bat or after I bat. Yeah. yeah.
the end over your heart. Um, by the way, the Lutherans, because this is how we are, and we've talked about this before, if Rome, namely the Roman Catholics, do it one way, but we want to retain doing it, we do it the opposite way. <laughs> it, no, it's a true story. Rome said you had to have six candles on the altar, so we said two. Actually, it worked the other way. We said two candles on the altar, and then Rome said, nope, you have to have six. And then we're like, nope, two. So then, yeah. So we have six, but they're not on the altar. They're on the rare dose in the back. We had our bets here. We've got two on the altar and six up. Nah, anyway. Uh, so sign of the cross. They actually start, they go, they go the opposite shoulder, left, right, heart. And we go right, left, heart. Anyway, put them out. I, I'm, if you're making a sign of the cross, I always smile. It makes me happy because it's like, yeah, these people are remembering, one, their baptism, one, Christ's death for them, right? And at the appropriate times. Hmm, that's good. Yeah, the sign of the cross, that's why it's on this sheet, is attached to the name. All right. So anytime you hear the name, you can make the sign of the cross. That gave you some good times. I say it at the end of the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if they list that here. Oh, anyway. No, I know. You can do it at the end of the Lord's Prayer. I do that too. Sometimes I end up just doing it and I don't know why. My heart. It's like something... Seems like a benediction or something like that. All right, children, you're done. So let's close with prayer. Can you pray? Hey, Patrick, hold your hands. There you go. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have placed your name upon us, and you are jealous for us to call upon that name in every time of trouble, praise, and thanksgiving. We ask that you would uh, remind us by your spirit of the benefit of all that you have said and done for us, of your many promises, and that you would um, inspire our heart by your spirit to call upon you at all times. In Jesus' name, amen.